Yeah, it's like a vision quest, but not really having a plan, just knowing that there was something more to life and I wanted to figure it out. And I didn't think where I was at at the time had the answers I was looking for. Kia ora koutou. That was Zach Friedley. I'm Matt Raymond. I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio, interesting conversations with interesting runners. So I'm no Ruth Croft and I am no Ryan Carr and I'm no Shaw Collins um, who all swear by Currens but what I do know is that I went for a couple of long runs back to back on the weekend and I've been using Currens for uh, I don't know two months now and they seem to be helping me. I don't get delayed onset muscle soreness and I feel generally better. I'm not really a supplements guy. Um, I understand that there's a lot of science and studies around the around the place. Um, but they work. They, they, they really seem to work. And, you know, Currens have got a money-back guarantee. So if you buy Currens... You know, and you're going to use the code DirtChurch at CurrensNZ, Currens.co.nz to get 20% off your first order. And you don't like them, or you don't think they stand up, which I'm I'm doubting that you will. You can get a money back guarantee. Simple as that. So if you go to Currens.co.nz, get some of that. You know, and and, and reject big current. You know, go with the kiwi, the little battler. You know, you don't want none of that big current stuff. The little battler. That's where you want to go. Currens.co.nz. What you've also got to do is get yourself along to wildthings.club. Use the code DCR2022 and you'll get yourself 15 months of VIP membership at Wild Things for the price of 12. And you'll be happy because you've got yourself a little deal. Rob will be happy because he's got another member. And he chips in to the Dirt Church Patreon fund. So we're happy. Everyone's happy. Get along. Do it. Winning. We go something like further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Go further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Dirt Church Radio. Episode 202 of Dirt Church Radio. We made it. We made it. We did make it. And man, how good was that early morning forest hoon yesterday? And no. It was so good. No encounters with forest machinery or indeed trails that were there one day and gone the next. It was just a good old fashioned run around in the pre-dawn beauty. Yeah, it was stunning. It was really gorgeous. And like I say, we managed to keep on on track <laughs> this week. Um, saw a few other people out there, including Petra, um, which was great. Enjoying the gorgeous early morning. Um, it was super stunning. Yeah. 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 Loved Just, it. There's something really special about starting in the dark and the sun coming up there's something really special about starting yeah. in the light and the sun going down but i much prefer it the other way it's uh it's it's pretty cool yeah though. it's uh, especially as it comes up through the trees mm. and you catch that first first glow of the sun 
um, coming up through the trees to the east, and it's just ah, oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Speak nature. Nature. Eh? What a what a what, why we're we here. Um, speaking of beautiful, <laughs> the champ last week, Ruth Croft, man. You knocked it out of the park. Uh, how good to see her s- just relaxed, happy. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the thing, wasn't it? She knocked it out of the park because she was just so relaxed and, and happy with life and, uh, you know, about to head off to Greenland and the Arctic Circle probably helped and surfing lessons. Um, you know, probably in the Arctic Circle, not an opportunity to practice your surfing skills, but there At you go. At least not for very long. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess it. you both knocked it out of the park because it was a lovely conversation. I got the chance to listen to it as a fan. And, man, it was so incredible. And you just... Oh, we missed, we missed having you yeah. there. But how cool that, you know, one of the coolest people that we know did something so incredible. And, you know, yeah. we also, if you didn't see it, you can catch our collab with Locker Room, which featured a story on Ruth, and we'll include that link in the show notes. And, of course, Locker Room is a new site that focuses specifically on the achievements of female athletes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. This week, you're flying solo. Yeah, so this week I'm flying solo with one of, I would say, the most incredible and for the best reasons, wildest interviews, or not even an interview, wildest hmm. conversations I've, I've ever done with um, Zachary Friedley from California, from, well, not originally from California, as you'll find out, actually. Um, but, you know, uh, we first heard about Zach from Chris McDougall, because Zach features in, in Chris's book, Born to Run 2. He is an above-the-knee amputee, and... Well, actually, born with, uh, you know, no leg above the knee on his right leg and is an adaptive athlete, pro trail runner, head of a, you know, uh, NGO, Modesto movement and an event called Born to Adapt. Just fantastic dude. Incredible story. Like, actually a bit <sighs> crazy is the wrong word, but, you know, you you. Yeah, you, it, it, it's a real trip, and, and, and what a guy. And he's coming down to race at Tarawera as well, so it'll be super, super cool. But, yeah, it was just an amazing, amazing conversation that I'm really excited to bring you. Mm. Yeah, I can't wait to listen. Um, the bits that I have heard have been amazing. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to putting my earphones in and listening as a fan. Um, look, just quickly, Patreon patrons, thank you very much. i got to say... We had a few technical issues last week with the podcast and we needed to make some late calls to fix things to make sure the episode actually got out on time. Uh, and it was brilliant to be able to resolve those things with the help of our patrons. Um, just, you know, being able to do things um, to get make sure it got out on time, as I said, and, you know, just being able to pay the bills that come with that sort of thing. So thank you. If you want to sign up, uh, as a, a regular donor or to make a one-off donation, you can find us at patreon.com slash dirtchurchradio. If it's not your thing, that's totally, totally cool as well. And we're still here for you. But thank you, Patreon patrons. Woo 2K, which stands for the Wellington Urban Ultra. I kind of 
spread out the the use there. Wellington Urban Ultra and the 2K <laughs> stands for the roughly 4,000 meters of actual elevation. It's yeah. one of the 2Ks yeah, lies. 2Ks lies. You're a lie, Gareth. It's one of the best races out there and it was this weekend and it looked amazing. If you recall last year, Eugene and I went down and it was uh, weather-wise all week rubbish rubbish in wellington but saturday utter shit show um but this year incredible incredible run of good weather resumed gorgeous trails they took a hammering from the weather and took a hammering from the people running down them and i guess it proved again that wellington trail running is no joke but much like fast people everywhere that didn't really seem to bother sam mccutcheon and mel brandon who both bagged course records sam of course he broke his own course record which is a pretty cool story you know running an incredible 5 11 59 which is just astonishing and miles ahead of second place um mel was just as dominant coming home in fifth overall and clocking at 6 19 10 which was an hour faster than second erin vaughan Quick shout out to DCR alumni Hazel Harrison for a third place too. Andy Palmer and Max Thompson were second and third in the men's. Yeah, amazing performances. Also, look, Will Bell, he took on uh, the Woo in an unofficial 21, 43, and then the 62, um, back to back to back, uh, to raise funds for cancer, um, to, yeah, for the Cancer Society and in memory of his mum. So, we will include a link to that in our show notes. But afterwards, he said, we did it, ticking off all three Wu2K distances in 20 and a half magical hours. It was a deeply humbling experience, and I'm so grateful for the chance to go on this adventure. Listen to these stats. 126 kilometers, 5,800 meters of elevation. Look, I... Well, you... I mean, every cent you, you raised is earned there. There's fundraising challenges and then there's fundraising challenges. You know, I have had the pleasure yeah. pleasure of running all three Wu2K distances. So first year it ran, I yes. did the marathon. Uh, then a couple of years later we did the ultra together and then last year we ended up all doing the 21K, um, which was a new event. And each one of them stands alone as being incredibly difficult and and yeah. just gnarly and to do all three back-to-back. Yeah, Hats amazing. Off, sir. So, I mean, what was your time? It's about four years. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I spread it out. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's yeah, not no. my. It's not my goal race <laughs> for the decade. Okay, so I just spread it out over. Yeah, it's about four years. Six. Yeah. Years. <laughs> oh, look! I I just can't imagine. You know, doing doing most together like that. Well, hats no, off, hats man. Off. Well done. Hats off. I mean, even the, yeah. Hey, we've got. Sorry, oh, I just sorry. want to go on yeah. about that a bit more. Even if you think about mm. the descent, that's three descents of tip track, one ascent of tip track, a south coast, three times up Mount Albert, three times up Victoria, all the, oh my God, just, yeah, amazing. Amazing, amazing, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, we have got another race giveaway, Uh Except this one's a bit different. It's kind of a repeat of last year. It's for the Crater Rim Race, uh, which last year we did a giveaway, but unfortunately the race didn't go ahead because, you know, thanks COVID. But anyway, look, the organisers have said, hey, we'd love to give you listeners another crack at getting into the race. So what we're going to do is we're going to put up a social media post this week uh, on our Facebook and our Instagram. Look out for it. 
um, like our page, comment with your name, and we'll draw a winner for next week. Crater Rim, of course, has got the 53K, the 30K, the 22, the 10K, and the new 83K race, which was supposed to debut last year, but will debut this year. Uh, it's got spectacular views over Littleton Harbour, Lake Ellesmere, and Christchurch. Um, it's got amazing terrain from kind of technical stuff to sort of fast stuff that um, people less technically challenged like myself, less technically able like myself, can get through. Um, the 53K race, an early morning ferry trip across Littleton Harbour. Choof. Um, and 83k race is doubling as the uh, trail running champs and Oceania champs. So get amongst it, mm. people. Have a look out for that social media post. Absolutely. Speaking of people getting amongst it, uh, Hard Rock Weekend. So Hard Rock was on in the San Juan Mountains in Colorado over the weekend. And gracious me, what a race for the time. You know, it's a storied 100-mile race with about 10,000 metres of elevation. And it's already at elevation so, you know, it's it's really no joke. We had a situation this year where both the women's and men's records were obliterated by two of the greatest trail and ultra runners in history, Courtney DeWalter and Killian Journey. Courtney finished in sixth place overall and was hours ahead of second place. An incredible, incredible runner. Diane Finkel had held the overall record since 2009, so they had to go and dust it off. Um... Courtney ran 26.44 and she was seven hours ahead of Stephanie Case. Amazing. Uh, in the men's race, Francois de Hain, Kelly and Journey and Dakota Jones set out in a train and then Dakota tried to, jack, to gap them, but eventually the Europeans took charge and um, Francois and Journey, uh, Kelly and sorry, ran sort of stride for stride until they were even going into aid stations together and coming out together and stuff. But at mile 93, Killian put the foot down and he'd put, you know, he put five minutes on his mate uh, quite quickly and then eventually claimed victory by 15 minutes, um, about 10 minutes under Francois' previous record. And that was for the opposite direction as well. So this was the slow year. Uh, so it was Killian's fifth win in five starts at Hard Rock. <sighs> Amazing. Look. We, we, you know, we always do the shout out to I Run Far uh, and we'll do it again because their coverage is always amazing, both in real time and with the, the old Twitter feed, um, you know, and their before and after interviews and so on. So, so check it out. And if you don't know how to find them, have a link, look for our link in our show notes. And that's not a paid partnership or anything. Uh, it's nah, just the fact that we're we total just love fans. Them. We've had both, yeah, both of them on the show and yeah, check them out. They're yep. just both yeah, Megan and Brian. So, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Go, I run far. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. might just be a run around the block. Something that's sung to you for some reason, send them in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. This is from Anthony. For some reason, during 2021, I decided that I wanted to get into trail running. I wasn't a runner. I didn't enjoy it and only really did it for the hurt. Each of my Strava runs was accompanied by the hashtag, I hate running. But a colleague of mine said that I should bottle the hurt and do an event, the 24km Topor Ultra. It was a daunting challenge as I wasn't a runner, but with the guidance and amazing team at Squadron, I was prepped. 
until it got cancelled. I worked damn hard and I wanted that finishes medal, so I did a virtual event around the Belmont Hills in the mighty Hutt Valley. The run started amazingly because it was all downhill. Then it went to pot. About four or five K in, I had a wee panic attack. My heart rate skyrocketed and I started to get tunnel vision. I knew that I was never going to complete the run. I needed to stop, give up and go home. This trail running thing wasn't for me. The first log up Belmont Trig was dark. I was convinced that my progress was too slow. Slower than my training runs up the same hill. Each time checking my watch gave me another dagger. Why are you going so slow, bro? I'd ask myself with each kilometer, trying desperately to give myself a reason to stop. The first loop ended back at the car park with a self-supported aid station. This was intentional as I wanted to give myself a go, no-go mental challenge to overcome. Why did I need yet another mental challenge? As I filled up my bottles, I was surrounded by people in camo doing some sort of orienteering or navigation something exercise. There were dozens of them. They were definitely real. I was struggling, but I had my brain working right. I still had 10k to go. It took everything to head off again down the hill to the Korokoro Dam and then back up that bloody hill to Belmont Trig, back up to the highest point again. I didn't register what I had done. I was nearly there, but I felt so far away. It wasn't until I was heading downhill with no effects blaring in the headphones, good choice bro, that I had realized the watch had clicked over 21k, a half marathon, a hilly one at that. I wasn't done, but I felt like it felt like the world. I started crying, crying and singing one more round in its bottles to the ground. Must have been a bit of a sight to see for the few people going out on their Saturday walks, but I didn't care. 1k to go with a final hill back up to the car park. My phone went flat and the music stopped. For the first time in hours, I had to listen to the birds, the wind through the trees and the waterfall at the bottom of the valley. I floated to the top of that hill and was greeted by my family who had made a massive congratulations sign. I sobbed and sobbed. Then through the tears, I looked around for all the people in camo. They weren't there. Were they ever there? I'll never know. That was my greatest run ever. Oh, wow. Thanks, Anthony. That was amazing. That was so cool. So two things. One, if you ever get the chance to run around near, up, down, around the Belmont Trek, do, because it's fantastic. Yeah. And two. It is. If people are in camouflage, it's quite hard to see Anthony, so it's very likely they were there. They're just, I don't know, standing still. Something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, and the, the music selection? I thought you were going to have a comment oh, about look, that. I mean, no effects. Amazing. One of the best uh, yeah. sort of pop punk bands in yeah. the world. Good for running. Yeah, good for running. Absolutely. Really, really good for running. Fantastic. Uh, Grunt Guys is a big cool. fan. <gasps> there you go. There you go. Officially endorsed by Grant Guys. Thanks, Anthony. Um, and the rest of you, uh, keep sending them in. Um, obviously, we've got quite a lot to come in with the Tarawera giveaway that we did, but uh, we still love to hear from the, you with them, and you can go and read them on our website too. Right. On with our conversation. Zach Friedley's a fighter. He was born um, missing his right leg above the knee, so he didn't let that stop him. He was drawn to athletics and just basically you'll hear in the interview gets after it. He tried wrestling and did quite well. And if, if you see a photo of him, he's, he's, he's quite a big, big, strong dude. Um, he attempted to get into the U S Paralympic team for track, um, which you'll hear about that. And then ended up on a journey of epic proportions, ending up with where he is now as a professional trail runner runs for on of switzerland he 
uh, Mendocino Movement, which is uh, an organization which strives to enable all sorts of people with all sorts of adaptions to get out on the trail and is also the founder of Born to Adapt, which is an event which encourages people who are either disabled or with adaptions to get out onto the trails. He's coming to race Tarawera in February and actually you're here and this is one of his goals to move to New Zealand. This is a, this is a wild conversation and Zach's an incredible dude. So please, you know, without further delay or me rambling, enjoy this conversation with the epic Zach Friedley. This conversation is brought to you by SOS Hydration. SOS Hydration is designed by a doctor for use by the world's best athletes and those who push themselves in work, sport, and everyday adventure. If you go to soshydration.co.nz and use the word church at checkout, you get 15% discount for listeners to this podcast. We're joined on Dirt Church Radio by Zach Friedley from Mendocino, California. Kia ora, Zach. How you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on here. Oh, look. Thanks for coming on. Um, we, I mean, spoiler alert or, or to um, Christopher McDougall, who's been on the show previously, um, messaged us and was like, you got to get this guy on. He's amazing. Um, uh, check out what he's doing. And, and we have, you know, uh, both with Mendocino Movement and Born to Adapt. But what I'd like to do, if it's okay, is take it right back to the beginning, man, because you've had a life uh, based in movement. Well, we've all had a life, right? But you've had a life based, I, I read your kind of bio and I was quite blown away both by what you're doing now and how movement when you were younger, what that meant to you and what it means to you now. So like, I mean, where did that start for you? Where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Midwest. So middle of the United States in a little, uh, well, kind of not little, but a community called Kansas City, Missouri. It's literally smack dab in the middle of the United States. So I grew up in a small town outside of the big city. And yeah, I mean, I was born missing my leg. Don't really have a lot of early memories of being different, you know? So I was just like a normal kid playing outside and doing all the stuff. And one day I realized I had a prosthetic leg, <laughs> you know? How, how, I mean, not to dive too deep how old were you when when you sort of had that realization like i'm a bit different from other kids well so there's two things here my mom says that i started asking questions around four but i remember like second grade so however old you are in second grade are you like, know, like six, six or seven six or seven yeah and i think that's just because kids started being curious and you know how kids ask questions and like state the obvious and one of the memories i have is just being in uh like gym class playing dodgeball right? and like, like being picked last and being confused and asking like, what the heck? Or like, yeah, we, you, you suck. You have, you have one leg. <laughs> and I was like, what? Went home and remember being like, yo, what's the deal here? Yeah. How come no one told me about this? <laughs> and it seems like, I mean, you went on to kind of, I'm not suggesting it. It's your life's played out like a movie and you went home and took that adversity. And then, but you went on to uh, participate very, very heavily in a number of sports and, and you were a wrestler. Yeah. Wrestled probably the longest is the longest sport that I'd done. It's a family sport. You know, my younger brother wrestled, my sister probably would have wrestled. My parents would have let her. Um, so it was just a family thing. We went to wrestling tournaments every weekend. 
practiced a lot. It was just that thing I did until basically in my like early twenties. And I even continued after I competed, I continued coaching for a couple of years and yeah, it was a big part of my life. I think that's where I get a lot of uh, my hard work ethic and able to do well in trail running. I mean, well, I guess it's the thing, isn't it? Like looking, I, I, I wondered sort of watching a video of you, I was like, this guy doesn't have a traditional runner's build. I mean, not what a traditional runner's, you know, what's a traditional runner's build these days, right? And I guess in the context of like, but you're not, you know, 55 kilos. Uh, you know, you no. look like you're strong. And so did you, when you competed, we, you just competed as is, as was in open grade? Or? Yeah, man. Um, I competed with everybody. I was in the mix, you know, and I can tell you I wasn't the best and I definitely wasn't the worst. Um, I learned how to take a good beating, um, but I also, you know, kind of dished out my own beatings every now and again. Wow. <laughs> and so how, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a transitional point there, you know, so you, you, you talked about, you know, you wrestled until you're in your early twenties and then you pivoted to track racing. I mean, how, how did you get involved with that? Yeah, just another one of those stories that's like fate. Um, I had my prosthetics built by this group called the Shriners. And if you know anything about the Shriners, they have a they bunch of hospitals. They in the little cars with the fizzes? Yes. Sorry, that's a terrible so, distillation of American culture. Right? Like, <laughs> that's the guy in, on like a punk rock record cover. Sort of Dead Kennedys or something like that? Or no FX with the little cars and the fizzes? Totally. That's the damn they, they they do, I think they dress like that to raise awareness and to bring money in for these hospitals for these kids. And basically they have all sorts of stuff. They have burn hospitals, hospitals that produce prosthetics. So I was involved with them for a long time and they built all my prosthetics from being a tiny kid to I was an adult till I was 18. And then basically they send you on your way and say, good luck. You know, you're an adult now and it's up to you to find your prosthetics care. So back then I went to this prosthetics place. I was like near my like house. I went there and this guy built me this leg and it, it sucked. And I remember like being like, Hey, I went from being super active to not active. What's going on. He's like, that's just what your life is, buddy. And I remember getting on the website and searching this company and it's a great big company. And on their like landing page of their, of their internet site, it had this dude running track and I'm like, what? So I emailed the company corporate office and was like, Hey, I see this guy on the cover of your, of your website. And the guy made my leg said, I can't do this. What the hell's going on? So they actually invited me down to their corporate office, like a few weeks later. And while I was down there, we were talking about prosthetics and like kind of looked at my setup and my setup wasn't the greatest and they made some changes. And while I was there, they handed me a blade and these are the blades that you've seen on TV and they like the Paralympics and, I was 22 years old and I was just super stoked uh, to have this like in my hands. And we hooked it up in the hallway on like a Saturday when there was nobody in this, this big, huge office. And I remember this guy was like, Hey, this is going to take you a while to get used to. Don't get frustrated. If you know, if you can't run right away, this is to take some time within like 30 seconds, I was flying up and down this hallway. And I was just like, this is a dream. And that's when they kind of connected me with the Paralympic track coach at the time. And it was 2007. It was like six months away from Beijing in China from the 2008 games. And 
I started training and basically that's how my running career kind of started. Um, yeah. So just kind of fate, you know, like something didn't go well. And next thing you know, I lined up something else. That's kind of the story of my life. <laughs> and I mean, the, with the, I mean, there's such a rabbit hole you can go down with the the prosthetics. We've had another adaptive athlete on the show, a gentleman by the name of Troy Sachs from Australia. He was a professional wheelchair basketball player and is now sort of, he did it for 20 years and he was talking about the, just, I mean, if we think about the drop of our running shoes, right? If your drop's off or if it's not suited, it, it must be, it, it well, it wreaks havoc with your body. I imagine, you know, having to substitute a whole nother limb and, and for clarity, you're an above the knee you're born I'm above the knee. Yeah. So you're yeah, born. So I'm, I don't have, I don't have a knee, uh, or an ankle or foot, you know? So, um, yeah, there's many different styles of having different limbs, you know, and they call us a case. What does that stand for? Oh, above the knee, above, there above the knee. There we go. I got that <laughs> one. All right. Um, <clears throat> and I guess, you know, carrying on from that, you know, you talked about how in wrestling you dished out some beatings and you, you took some beatings, you know, you went into this Paralympic track uh, or this dream of going to the Olympics and that was challenging for you too. Hey. Yeah, man. So I never achieved my dreams in that sport and yeah, it was just trying to prove something, you know, it was coming from a place of maybe lack, you know? And so I would train really not smart. I never had a coach, you know, looking at how I train now and how my life is set up now with trail running at, at the professional level. Um, Zach in his twenties just wasn't doing it right and was doing it for the wrong reasons. And I'm pretty sure that's why I never really achieved my goals. And thankfully that never did happen because I don't know if I'd be sitting here right now, you know, living the life that I have uh, currently. Right. And I mean, what were the reasons that you were you were you were going after this goal just trying to prove something like there's this cliche thing of uh not being enough and i'm pretty sure i embodied not being enough you know i needed to prove to everyone that i was some somebody and and somehow at a young age i attached myself to sports and it just kind of continued on into my 20s it was one thing after another and paralympic track was just one of those things that was a part of that journey. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to face at, at, at a young age, right? That's a, that's a pretty big, like, um, that's a pretty big psychosocial challenge. Um, and, and, and then, I mean, so you, did you just stop, stop autom- like stopped everything? You're like, bugger this. So I'll, I'll move on to something else or. Kind of, there wasn't really a moment in my life where I remember saying I'm done with this, but like life happened and I was about 30 years old and it was right before Rio. So it would have been like 2013, 14. Um, So that was like still in my mind. And I left Kansas City, Missouri, where I was born and raised and basically went to the unknown. Had I, I left my house. Um, quit my job, sold all my stuff, put stuff in storage that I never actually ended up seeing again and had stuff in a suitcase and never, never came back still to this day. Wow. And yeah, it's like a vision quest, but not really having a plan, just knowing that there was something more to life and I wanted to figure it out. And I didn't think where I was at at the time 
had the answers I was looking for. So you, you know? I mean, you were set up, you had a house, I'm picking you had a job and, and, and you just quit and, and then you ended up. I had the quote unquote life, you know, I had a house that was nice. I had friends, you know, went out and did things and family and job, car. I mean, essentially it's like making it is what people say, but for right. something I was looking for something deeper and I didn't, I couldn't necessarily voice that. You know, this is all reflection of me at almost 38 years old now, um, reflecting back at what I was going through. And I was depressed. I was sad, but I definitely felt there was something more to life that I was going to figure out. I just didn't know how. Wow. So then you end up in, in Philadelphia, which, I mean, I don't know the geography of the United States, but I'm guessing it's not next to Kansas and at working uh, as a nanny. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was a nanny to two girls that were seventh grade and freshmen friends of the family and they had just moved there and their mom passed away oh. and like unexpectedly kind of situation. And their dad was very heavily involved in business and worked for a business that um, basically, you know, he had to continue doing his right. travels and I stepped in and was like, Hey, I mean, that's what kind of started the move is I was like, Oh, look, there's some purpose. Let me go do this because these girls depended on me. And I basically spent a whole entire school year um, with these girls being their parent, you know, you know, doing homework with them, talking to teachers, going through crisis, you know, yeah. and just all the stuff that, you know, that you go through when you're at that age. And I was there with them and it kind of gave me purpose. And I, I mean, it's not just like you turned up and they were, you know, they've got like a you know, business dad and, 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 and that they've lost the, they've lost the parents. So there's that you stepped into this family unit with that's, that's grieving. I mean, that must've been incredible, totally. incredibly challenging. And the dad as well, you know, where's your place and. Absolutely. And then there's uh, you turn it, up it, and you're quite striking. I mean, this is the thing, it's just, it's quite a striking, uh, the whole thing is quite a striking visual, right? Where you think about like, here's Zach turning yeah. up. Yeah. I, I was the Manny. They yeah. called me the Manny. Dude. I mean, I've been a nurse for 21 years. Like it's, <laughs> you know, people, people really struggle away with those traditional kind of those traditional gendered roles. Like people will say to me and, and, you know, Oh, you're a male nurse. I go, yes, you know, I am. Yep. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like this was it the mustache. I don't know. Um, the voice, but yeah, there's people really struggle. Yeah. They have to kind of attach like a thing, like a manny or a male nurse when you're actually, you're just a nanny you're or you're not just a nanny but you're, you're a nanny or, or a nurse it's uh yeah i it, it definitely a lot of people like their heads turn several times and they're like oh you're the nanny yeah you know I'm like yeah there i am yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i guess that's and uh, you know man it's i don't know that's a that's a reflection isn't it of, of probably stuff where kids are kids are kind of tapping your leg and going, Hey, you're a bit different. You can't do that. Or you, why are you here? Right. And then you're getting that in the, in that sense as well. So you finish up with that. And then, I mean, you, you find yourself in Humboldt County. What do you know about Humboldt County? I know about Humboldt County that tons of marijuana is grown there. Uh, And it's it's the golden, what is it? The, 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 I watched a Emerald triangle. That's it. I watched it. It looks, I watched the, um, I watched a Netflix show called Murder Mountain, which I'm sure I worked there. All right, okay. It's my neighborhood. Yeah, that's where. I, yeah, I had no clue what I was doing, 
there. Um, so when that movie came out, I was like, yep, I know all those places. Right. So, so you really similar geography, uh, to parts of West Auckland, like eerily. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, not everyone riding around with shotguns on their back, but, um, there's some parts where there's our dudes on four, you know, four by fours that'll come out and, you know, pretty, pretty wild country. But so you ended up in, and if I may ask, were you working on a farm with sheep and beef or were you working on a farm that was uh, more horticultural in nature? Yep. It was definitely the latter. Right. So you find yourself, that is a, I mean, that's a vision quest. You, you're out in the middle of nowhere in the wilds of, of, of California working on Murder Mountain, which is, I'm pretty sure. I mean, is that the official name for the, for the place? Yeah, that's like uh, just, I mean, that is, there's many names. Um, at the time, I did not know that was the name. And I didn't really know what I was getting into until I got there. You know, I just didn't have a concept of what Northern California was. I thought it was San Francisco. Right. And this is like five hours north in the middle of literally nowhere. And I, yeah, I lived there. Um, uh, spent a season there, basically uh, late March into early October. Wow. And I learned a lot about myself there. That was like a really pivotal stop on this journey of me trying to figure out who I was. And there's nothing like being in a remote place, relying on basically yourself, you know, being self-sufficient and being able to like negotiate and communicate and sit with your thoughts. There was no cell phones. There was basically no internet, barely running water. I lived inside my car and I worked, you know, sun up to sundown seven days a week to the point where there was times I didn't even know what day of the week it was because it didn't matter. Right. It just work. And this this is at the point where, I guess, you know, from your bio, where movement started to take on a different meaning for you before it was move to win, right? Move to win. You, you, yeah. you, you move, and if you move, you've got meaning, and it's to, it's to beat someone down or it's to take a beating. And, and it changed into moving to live. Yeah, it was survival. And I realized, you know, um, that was when I whipped out my track leg that I had and was moving around those hills quicker than anybody. And, you know, it was pretty cool to, to be able to do that, you know? And I mean, cause nobody cared if, like, if I couldn't do that, I'd be, they would have kicked me out and I would have been gone. Cause it was all about, you know, working and fast. And, and so I stepped up and it worked. Wow. And, and so you, you, you're working on this, but you, you, you're running around and literally sort of uphill down Dale, uh, doing what, oh man, doing what you're doing. Yeah, totally. It was up and down, up and down, up and down. I probably did without even knowing it. I probably did like five to 10 miles a day of moving. Right. And did anyone, I mean, I must say it's an awesome, awesome address. So if anyone ever wrote you a letter, uh, you know, <laughs> Zach, Zach Friedley, 34 Murder Mountain Street, Murder Mountain. That's a hell of an address. I actually lied to my family. Yeah. They told them I was working in wine country. They didn't. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't tell him I was up in a, you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> cannabis farm. No, I mean, but that's the, this is the thing, right? I mean, what do you, you got to manage expectations. Um, did anyone in that, I mean, it's a, I guess it's the thing. It's, it's the wild west. Did anyone bat an eyelid? The fact that you were moving around with a, with a blade. They didn't. Yeah, they did. You know, like a lot of people would joke around that I was like implanted by the feds, you know, because I just didn't fit the, the, the profile of, <laughs> yeah. 
this guy. So like everybody's like, you know, jokingly, but kind of not joking. Like, right. You know, yeah. <laughs> you got like um, a, bu- uh, like I, a camera I drove in your leg or something. I drove a black SUV that resembled like, you know, the, the typical, like it was like a Yukon. Right. That looked like a federal agent. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the first month I was there, they were like, what the hell is this guy? Do? How are you going to work here? And then by the end of it, they were like, yeah, you're definitely, you belong. And so from, you know, you spend a season there and then, you know, so you, you've got this idea now that movement is about living. It's not about winning so much. And then you find yourself in in this place called Mendocino. Now, I mean, in relation to, say, Los Angeles or wh- where is Mendocino or is it a suburb of Los Angeles? No, Mendocino is way north. So it's three and a half hours north of San Francisco. Um, I'd say from LA, it's like a 10 to 12 hour drive. Um, it's intentional. You have to intentionally come here. You're not going to just pass through Mendocino. Right. Um, it's, it's literally off of the Pacific coast highway, highway one through the redwoods. So you have to definitely be like, I'm going there except for me. I mean, I guess you could just end up there. I was looking for the ocean, being a humble, being in California. When I got there, I was like beaches and oceans. I didn't realize California had many different types of landscapes. So when I landed in Humboldt, I was kind of disappointed that I was like two hours away from the ocean. I thought I was going to be chilling in California in the ocean scene. And so, you know, later in the summer after being there for a while, I drove to the coast and the closest coast that I could access was Mendocino. And, and that's basically kind of how I drifted through here and never left. So, I mean, and, and how did you, your journey towards sort of, I guess where you are now, you know, essentially you you do this for a job, right? This is your career now. You're you're, you're, yeah, you're full professional trail runner. Professional trail runner. So how does that? You know, you, you get done with your season on down on the farm, so to speak, and then you end up in Mendocino. I mean, what do you start doing there? Well, I you know I kind of went back to my old what I know, and I found a girlfriend, and she was from the community. We got a house, and I started working again at like a corporate job for Verizon and ended up doing really well and kind of was in that mold for two years. And towards the tail end of that two years, I started what I like to call like listening to the universe a little bit. Right. You know, I was like unsatisfied again, but the only difference is I was in a unique place and there's a lot of unique people here. And I started reading some books and started getting what I call body work, which is a massage. And through that, I started to discover something I couldn't explain. And it was like the movement of energy through my body. And I had a couple intense experiences with um, a woman who was um, giving me body work. And she recommended that I see her teacher. His name is Fred Mittower, and he basically lives on the coast here and been doing this for 50 years. He does this stuff called transformational body work, somatic therapy. And I found myself with, with him um, essentially almost f- five years ago now. And we started doing some really powerful work where I started really transforming myself in a way that was inside. Um, and yeah, that literally changed my life. 
So I guess processing traumas. Yeah, yeah. That's the. I mean, that I'm, I'm familiar with body work in the sense that the in the mental health field, you know, it's some. It, it is a therapy modality that. I mean, it's it it it's had it, it's had it's sort of in our context here. It seems like it's a, it's a modality that was sort of more perhaps in vogue in the seventies, eighties, nineties. It's not so yeah. much used these days. However, you know, there's some stuff that you can't articulate, right? And it's sort of there's totally. That, it's held within us and the energy that's with running, right? People talk about that release with running, that, that sort of sense of the sense of otherness that happens or the, 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 the ineffable, the unexplainable. Um, but you broke all your prosthetics. How did you, I, I, how'd you go about doing yeah, that? So, so when me and Fred started working together, you know, he was moving energy around my body. We're processing traumas left and right. I'm having breakthroughs. I'm having, my beliefs are being shattered. I'm establishing new beliefs, um, new visions of what success is, understanding love and like love is abundant. And just all these things started happening to me. And with that, I felt extraordinarily empowered in my body. And my body was already strong from doing all the sports my whole life. And now it's a strong body with like almost no uh, inhibitions, to, you know, no like restraints. And I'm in this beautiful place, Mendocino. You got ocean, you got ancient redwoods, you got no people really, and just this mass land. So it was a part of my practice to see Fred like a couple times a month. And I would start moving my body differently. And one thing led to another. I started smashing all these prosthetics. And there I was staring down the face of my old Paralympic track leg that I had used in the mountains of Humboldt when I was up there working. And that's the only thing I had left. And I started to just use that every day and was running on beaches and, you know, just no goal, just to move my body. And it was one of the greatest experiences ever. I felt liberated. I felt extraordinarily empowered. And I knew there was something happening. I knew there was some magic happening. And instead of just kind of being upset that I didn't have any prosthetics or, you know, I was uninsured, I didn't have a lot of money. You know, it was giving me a taste of like, oh, this is what it's like not to be privileged or not to have access to prosthetics like on a on a whim. So it was good for me because I got to experience that and start thinking about other people that may be in this position. I knew I was going to figure it out. Um, but what about the people that don't even have access to figure it out? Hmm. And that's kind of how the Mendocino Movement Project was created based upon this experience. You know, prosthetics have been in my life forever. And I experienced a little bit of downtime without it. There was a period um, where I snapped that blade in half. Then I had no prosthetics and and I was on crutches for, I want to say six months to a year. I don't really remember. It was definitely an extended period of time um, that I didn't have a leg to wear. And that is when I was kept following those, like, you know, whispers from the universe of you're on the right path, even though people might've thought I was nuts like it's okay you know like i need to experience this i'm going to figure it out i'm going to start this organization and i'm going to help people one day so you know it was almost a road to damascus moment because you had this corporate job i i do think you know i did they ask you the interview what have you been up to for the last year because there's a gap on your resume <laughs> well they kind of knew when in I wine t- country they- you know it's pretty pretty normal here in the culture yeah uh, it's just part of the 
thing and people just know like oh you did the thing yeah yeah it's a different yep. it's a different cultural context for sure but I, I i do it does tickle my it tickles my fancy that you went from sort of that job to this corporate job and then you find yourself engaged in this sort of shamanistic healing and and running up and down and you busted your prosthetics and you were on crutches for six months and then i quit that job quit that corporate job you know at this point i started to realize look i can do anything <clears> i set my mind to i can be successful at you know i've been successful at corporate jobs i've been successful up in the middle of a mountain with no resources i'm successful re, you know i burned my life down and now i'm successful again in this corporate job so i got a lot of confidence in my ability um and i started meeting these people that are in our community here that became like my friends my mentors like really good friends i was just on the phone with one of them before we had this call and you know these guys are in their 80s and they have a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge and a lot of life experiences that they were sharing with me. And one of them, uh, his name's Paul Katzif. He owns a coffee company. He started it, him and his wife, called Thanksgiving Coffee Company. And him and I, during this time period, were out playing catch a couple times a month. And this guy was telling me about his life. And basically, he found in his 30s that he could utilize business to help people. So that was like, oh, okay. So I took that and held on to that. And started, you know, basically collecting all these things from these people that really resonated with me to build what I wanted to do. And that's what I'm doing right now. I mean, it it, it was really cool to have these people just show up in my life. So it's like, you, you've, oh God, it sounds like such a cliche, but it's a, it's a truism, isn't it? You, you, you found your tribe. Oh yeah, totally. I found my tribe. You know, I had to do a lot of inner work to get there though. Mm. And I think that's the biggest lesson that I learned is... None of this happened until I started to go deep and peel back the layers. Did your parents and the people who knew you from, you know, Kansas City, uh, did they look at you like, is is he going a bit nuts? Like, what, what's he? I up? think they might have. You know, he grew his hair out. He's wearing stones around his neck. He sees this guy in the redwoods. Like, what's going on? Yeah. You know, like, and I think for me, growing up in the Midwest and experiencing this, I was a bit skeptical because I'm like, this doesn't make sense, but I kept following it. And, you know, it literally basically changed who I was because of it. And it allows me to even be more open to things and people and their experiences. And, you know, I, I kind of seek different stuff. Yeah. Right. It's good to be curious, man. And it's, uh, I mean, experience and that's the thing, right? So you, you, you know, you're 38 now you're 37. I'll be 38 in two 11 weeks. and a half. I'd be worried. Couple Sorry. more weeks left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just put a, put a <laughs> name. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'd be worried if you weren't, if you were the same person when you were 30 as you are now when you're 37 and 11 and a half months. Um, that's what life is, eh? There's different changes, there's different right throughout. Look, tell us about Mendocino Movement. I mean, when did you found it and what is the purpose of it? I remember the moment I found it. I was on a beach in Mendocino, my favorite beach was Casper Beach and uh, I was getting all these articles reading about people in the world that didn't have access to prosthetics and like I started thinking about more people than just myself for like one of the first times ever and I just really wanted to use my energy and my skill set to impact the people that I think I could impact the community that I you know have been involved in my whole life and you know I was with the Shriners my as a kid and they helped my family out they didn't charge us for prosthetics. So it was almost like I was groomed 
for this. And I was realizing like my destiny essentially. And I just kept following it. And I had these mentors around me that I would share my, um, these like downloads I got from the universe of like, Oh, this, Oh, how about this? And they just kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. And, you know, and now here I am, that foundation is a reality, you know, and we had an event and it's just, just the beginning. So I, it's really cool to see it come to manifestation. And so is it based on you fundraise or you promote I mean, is it about promoting access or is it about gaining certain people or communities access to, because I'm guessing everyone sort of talks about running being cheap or movement being cheap, right? Oh, you just need a pair of running shoes. And it's a fallacy because you don't just need a pair of running shoes. Well, technically you do, but they're expensive. I'm guessing a carbon blade is a couple of, what are we, what are we talking about? A carbon blade is $1,000, well, $2,000? I'll, I'll tell you what. I just asked my prosthetics company in the last year how much it's been for me to run where I'm at. It's, it's, it's well over 150K. Wow. Um, you know, that's probably not the normal, but I've gone through several different sockets and knees and blades. And, you know, my demand's like pretty hardcore mm. based upon the kind of stuff that I do. But it, but typically it's, it's not cheap. Anybody that's got a blade has probably applied for a grant of some sort and got a, a grant through some nonprofit insurances don't cover that. There's a lot of things that a person has to figure out for themselves to run when you're an adaptive athlete or a disabled person. And, you know, I, I even go a step further. What about the people that don't have access to computers or mm. internet or whatever? Like, so there's still a lot of people out there that need access to these things to, to what I believe movement of your body is, is, is everyone's right. Whether you're, you know, living here in the United States or if you're in India, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. You should have access to these things. And I guess that's the thing too, isn't it? Like you, you, I draw that and this is with no disrespect, but like you, your foundation is strong, right? And and you broke your prosthetics and you're on crutches for six months and you treated it as a learning, a learning time and a learning period. And, and you had that kind of drive and that drive to succeed and, you know, and I guess that's the thing, like you say, if you're a kid who doesn't have a computer or uh, an adult who's never really had that foundation of, yeah, you're actually, you're, this is a right that you have, not, not a privilege. So, I mean, how do you, how do you go, how does your, your medicine or movement, how do, the, how do you, how do you work? Well, you know, when I started this out, my goal was to give uh, prosthetics in like under resourced areas of the world. COVID happened and travel was restricted not some of the connections i had been to india several times and i was really connected to doing something there you know and then covid kind of had us all on pause and i wanted to still do something and at that time that's when i st started to trail run and i was moving around and you know looking at these races and seeing that there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me at these races and there's 15% of the world's disabled so that's a billion people and the outdoors for me is extraordinarily transformational. You know, my first trail run, when I crossed the finish line, born to run 2019 as a 10-mile trail run, I cried. I looked at the world differently. I looked at national parks of like, instead of being this guy sitting in a car as I drive through, next time I go there, I'm going to run through this thing. I can do this. And I wanted to give people access to those things. I still had Mendocino Movement Project. And so we kind of pivoted 
for the time being to do work in the disabilities like space with access to the outdoors through trail running. And, you know, we just, we just hosted our first event, Born to Adapt. We had 14 people sign up, seven in person. And that's just the beginning. You know, I keep reminding myself, there's 15% of the world's disabled. There's a lot of people that we can get out there. So our mission is to make it more accessible. You know, whether that's resources, whether that's connecting people to foundations that they need to get their blades or wheelchairs or whatever they need to move their bodies. And and I'm working with different race uh, groups at the highest level, you know, UTMB, um, trying to get them to add adaptive athletes to their elite deal. And I'm just coming from it at many different angles, grassroots, elite level, anywhere I can, I'm trying to build this thing. Mm. Well, and I guess that's the thing. I, you know, I watched the video this morning um, and it was incredible, right? That's a niche event. Or it seems the word, ugh, we use big words in this culture, right? Inspiring or, and it was truly inspiring. And I think about like being a born to run marathon. It's not Boston, right? It's not the LA marathon or, or a big, even a big five or a 10K. It's, it's this kind of tribal thing. And the totally. the people who the people who turned up was that the the boy in the off road wheelchair is it Stephen Sean 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 my goodness. star oh geez Louise and just the people uh if, you know for those who haven't I'll, we'll put a link to the YouTube video in our show notes but I I encourage anyone go you know search up Born to Adapt there's this you know this beautiful boy and his father built him this off road wheelchair and um. So cool. And people pulling, like able-bodied people pulling him up, you know, around this course and everyone just breaking down, you know, the, the powerful, just the, I, I think the, I don't think a lot of people expected that. I got the sense that some of these, these trail runners didn't expect that they would be that moved by the experience of what they were doing. I mean, I didn't expect it. Right. You know, and I hosted the, the whole thing. It was just kind of unfolded and it, these are really important experiences for people not only to experience, but to, but, but to see, you know, it's really good for humanity to see the rawness of humanity, mm. you know, and I think everybody belongs outdoors and everybody belongs in those spaces. And I want to eliminate the barriers that uh, humanity has put up to not let that happen. How do we encourage access as a, as a community, and I'm thinking about specifically in the trail and ultra running space. I mean, what are some of the ways that races, uh, that us as athletes or allies can, if we want, you know, if we want to start acting like allies, how, how do we, how do we promote and how do we protect and how do we participate? I think it's important to look at the communities that you're not in, you know, whether it be BIPOC communities, LGBTQ, disabled, you know, what they call marginalized communities and to see, you know, what's going on. Like, are these people at these races and why not like start asking the questions, you know, ask the race director if they need help reaching out to these communities and, or maybe, you know, somebody that's like me or, you know, that's in a BIPOC community or, you know, you just got to start asking questions and I think doors will open. And I think, I think, I think society, I have an optimistic view I feel like society wants to do this. Um, they just need a little bit of encouragement and, um, you know, help going in the right direction. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, well, I guess there's two, there's two ways you can take it, right. There's two things that you can think about. You can either take this kind of cynical, you know, 
the world is what it is and it's us versus them or, or there's the the most probably uh much much healthier way to think about it which is why don't we all and not try like why don't we all get along but what why don't we be curious you know yeah i mean there's these are just opportunities for things to be better or different and that's what i seek out you know i think it's a lot of the work a lot of the travels that i've done you know the time i've spent in india some of the mindset shifts that i've had it's just a lot of opportunity to make things better um, and not really focus on like things being bad or worse. There's just a lot of opportunity mm. and that's just kind of who I am. You know, I don't really have to try to be optimistic. It just kind of happens. Tell me about, I mean, you're a professional trail runner. Let's, let's, this is a trail running podcast. God damn it. Let's talk about some trail running. Um, <laughs> what do you, uh, which is always the way, right? It's, it's one of the best things about this is it is about running, but it's about so much more than than what you know the running but like what does your training look like uh you know in a week what do you yeah i'm getting ready well i'm getting ready for utmb mcc right now which for people that don't know it's a 40k uh and it's during the week of utmb all the all those races tds ccc occ and the big one um so my race is on monday august 22nd and right now i'm just training you know, I'm working through some prosthetics issues. We're trying to figure some things out. Um, so I can't push too hard to where I'm down for days on end, but I get in what I can five to 10 miles, a lot of climbing. Um, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go on like a two hour run and I'm going to probably do a hill repeat, like an 800 foot climb uh, as many times as I can, two hours. And here after this call, I'll do probably two to three miles. And it's just about time on feet keeping my body strong, making sure I'm healthy, a lot of recovery, a lot of eating right. Um, I just got back from the GoPro games in Vail, Colorado, where I did a 5K and this like vertical kilometer challenge, you know, so. That sounds horrendous. I'm just throwing myself. <laughs> it was, I, I crawled a little bit of it. Um, it, was, it was fun though. Mm. Um, yeah, here. I'm going to Western States in a couple of days, so I'll be crewing some people there. Are you familiar with Western States? I'm very familiar with Western States. Yeah, yeah. So we have, um, we we have Ruth Croft, who is mm. um, from the west coast of the South Island of of New Zealand, which is 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 probably closer to, in terms of wildness, to Humboldt County. You know, like the, the tough, cool, wild people. Not wild, tough people. You know, salt of the earth, tough uh rad and uh she came second last year first and uh i'm suggesting that you know she's gonna rain do it again uh, win it i well cool. I, I yeah. mean, she's this is the she won um she won last year's title she won the 100k outright um and you know i remember being on the we were eugene and i we were on the commentary team and we were at the finish line and and the guys, some of the dudes are like, well, you know, this person's got a faster this or this person's got a faster this. And I was like, Ruth's going to win it. She's going to win it. And she did. She just destroyed the field. Like she was That's cool. I think she was, she was some ridiculous, like 20 plus 20 minutes, like, or maybe more uh, in front of Reese, who was the first male finisher, who was, he's a phenomenal. It's a pretty good gap. Oh yeah. And it was, it's, it's, it was, it was massive. So yeah, I, yeah, go Ruth is basically what I'm trying to say. But Western States is, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the so big dance, right? I'm going there for the first time ever. Um, so I'm really excited. I, I, you know, I, I get to go there and 
you know, I want to run that race one day, um, probably in my 40s sometime because I'm not quite at a hundred miler yet. But you know, I feel like with trail running, or you get better as you get older, in my opinion. Um, and I'm taking care of my body, so yeah, I'm excited to just experience Western states. And then I'm gonna go take a little short trip to get my prosthetic all uh, tuned up because I'm headed to Montana in July to do a lot of mountain uh, climbing and training. And then I'll probably go to Switzerland pretty early because I'm, I signed with on, um, are you familiar with on? No. Can you, can you see me? Yes. These are the shoes. Oh yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. I am familiar with on. Yeah. Sorry. So they're out of Switzerland, um, Zurich, and I just got on their trail team. They're the coolest company I've ever been a part of. Um, they're going to do some modifications to my tread on my blade. So I'm going to have some on trail tread and we're going to spend some time in Switzerland before UTMB to do that. But I feel like UTMB is my like going to be like my coming out party on the international scene. Um, cause shortly after that, you know, I'll be racing ultra Cape town. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, and then February I'm coming to New Zealand. Yeah, I know. New Tarawera. What distance are you doing at Tarawera? I think 20K. Um, we'll, we'll see. But I feel pretty good at those big races to do like the, the distances that aren't too much of a stretch for me. And I'll maybe do the stretch distances closer to home. Right. Um, you know, like 50 milers and stuff like that. Uh, but 20K is really manageable for me. I can, I what I call, I can like really send it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um but I'm excited about coming to New Zealand. I want to spend a month there. And honestly, me and my wife want to move there. And I, and I have dreams of bringing Born to Adapt uh, to New Zealand. Well, I mean, we'd love to have you, to be honest. It's uh, not, it, it's a, uh, I mean, I'm biased, right? Like it's, as I was saying before we got on, before we started recording, it's, it's a, it's a pretty special place and, and it's, it's a place, right? It's not without its challenges. It's not without its, uh, you know, not every, not everything. It's, it's not utopia, but it's, it's pretty bloody good. Um, I need mountains and I need beach nearby. Well, and if I have both, I am done. Then you're in, you, you, you come into the right place, but tell me, I mean, what people don't, I guess this is the thing of what people don't realize you've got this blade, but not having a knee and not having how yeah. much more of a, well, I'm not going to say impediment, but even the movement of you running, you have so much more. I got some of... numbers for you. All right, go. So they did a study on road and above knee runners expend 150 to 200% more energy than a runner who's non-disabled. Um, and that's on a road. So we don't have any numbers for trail. And we all know that trail running is significantly more i don't want to i don't want to take anything away from road running but it's just a different deal you know um and yeah so i run from the hip a lot of my the side that i'm missing my leg comes from the hip um you know sometimes there's crawling if it's too steep i'm getting better at my climbing i'm getting better at my descending i use trekking poles i try to keep calm and peace and i harness the meditation that i've learned in india I'm not out there raging, you know, um, the calmer I am and the less tension I have in my body, the more I feel like I flow and that's my goal. So my goals are a little bit different than the other, other 
runners that I know, I kind of have my own mix, you know? Um, I'm not trying to fall down. If I get too crazy and like my ego comes out, I'm like, yo, I'm going to go so fast right now. That's when I just bust it. So I try to limit those. Falling's not good for Zach. Staying upright's my goal. That's right. Well, that's the thing I get. And there's so much more to, more to consider. And, and also where you're, you know, the socket and the, Oh yeah. That I've, I mean, you think there's about, a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. That we just don't, um, don't need to worry. About. You know, being a trail runner, long distance runner, you're managing many things as an adaptive above knee runner. I'm managing like another, like twice as much stuff. And sometimes, you know, it kind of, I mean, there's certain, certain circumstances where I'm managing so stuff, so much stuff that like last weekend, I couldn't even really feel the altitude, even though the altitude was certainly impacting me, at, you know, eight to 10,000 feet. I had some other stuff happening that I didn't get a chance to like notice right? because I'm dealing with this other stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that I can find an advantage, you know? Um, so I think that's why I'm drawn to it. You know, you're in the outdoors, you're with a cool group of people, you're moving your body, you're seeing epic landscapes and you're just managing things that are kind of challenging. And so would it be your, and I guess as well, there's a mechanical aspect. So not a, not a, not a body mechanical, but a mechanical, mechanical aspect to your engagement with that, with the sport. So you have to not only worry, I mean, about, you know, hurting your other leg or straining something, but there's that sense of if something goes wrong mechanically, do you, I mean, when we talk to Troy Sachs, he talks about he he sort of has a, a kit with him that he uses to, uh, he's a below the knee, he, yep. below the knee amputee, and he has this kit that he uses to um, basically any sort of running repairs. Is that something that you have to contend with as well? Kind of. I carry this Allen wrench, you know, and like at UTMB, I'll carry a spare tread that just in case tread rips off. But for the most part, I mean, I might carry a valve for my socket. There's a couple things. So I guess I do have a kit, um, you know, that I can solve some issues that come up. But there's some things you just can't, you can't, I mean, solve if it were to happen out there. But they build these things pretty tough, you know, and I'm like really hyper aware of things even before the race to make sure I don't get myself in a circumstance that could be dangerous but i mean it is risky i mean running with a blade on a trail as an ak is kind of risky yeah well i mean, and I, I guess that's what attracts us to the sport running on a trail at the best of times being able-bodied is has an element of risk in it and it seems like it sort of ex, ex, not exponentially well maybe it does it exponentially increases that level of risk you got to, things to take care of how did you how do you become a how did you get to, you know, how long have you been a professional trail athlete? When did, where, where did that opportunity come from? Well, I left my job December 1st of 2021. Had you jumped sort of back and, into, had you jumped back into corporate life there? Or? Uh, nah, I worked for our community internet service provider. So it was like not really corporate. It was Mendocino, which is, you know, not, not corporate. corporate at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I worked for the local school district who owned our internet service provider and with a cool group of people. And I, you know, basically did internet type stuff for the community and got to engage the community. You know, I really liked it. It was cool, cool gig, but trail running was more and more coming into the forefront. You know, I was speaking at conferences, the U S trail running conference, and I wanted to run at my highest level. And, 
Um, I've had a coach now for almost two years who is a Team USA paratriathlon coach. And about this time last year in the summer, I asked her one day, I said, hey, do you think I could run full time? Like, am I, do I have what it takes to be a pro at this? And she said, absolutely. Um, so the, the, the thought started around June of last year and I pulled the trigger in December and now in June of 2022, things are really falling into place. You know, I've got on as a full-time sponsor, um, buff, I have go sleeves, um, and a couple other small ones. And, you know, we're talking with UTMB about me running on the World Series 2023. I mean, I know it's going to happen. I'm just trying to get them to open up opportunity <laughs> for adaptive athletes. Yeah, you know? sure. They just don't know it. <laughs> I'm going to be there. Yeah, fantastic. Um, since since you were like so, yeah, and I really feel like with athlete. this, it grows the platform that I'm able to speak from and to be loud and you know create the access that people like me need. And be so able to on, uh, not held you know, on to it. It's still one of my lifelong dreams in second grade to be a professional athlete. Yeah, since second grade, I remember we had a guy come into our classroom uh, who played hockey on the 1980 U.S. team that beat Russia, Oof. and they passed that gold medal around the room. You know, he was an Olympian. He won a gold medal. He was a professional. And I'm like, I want to do this. And sport transitioned many times. It went from wrestling, you know, or maybe I wanted to be an NFL player and all these things. And, and I kept going from one one thing to the next. And trail running was the one where I finally made it. That's incredible. It's an incredible story. And I mean, on top of that, you're in Born to Run too. Yeah. So Christopher Christopher McDougall and and Eric Orton's new book. I mean, how, how did that come about? Again, it's like destiny, man. Uh, It's these things that fall into place. And I ran born to run the race 2019 Lewis Escobar, who's in the book. And I went there to his race. The goal was to hand out coffee and Thanksgiving coffee with the company I mentioned earlier. And once I got down there, a friend that brought me kind of talked me into doing a 10-mile trail run, and I had never run further than three. I did it. The world opened up in a way that was like, oh. Found myself shortly after in Yosemite trying to run that thing. That ended up not good, but I, I did it, you know. And started honing in trail running during COVID. I live in Mendocino. There's trails everywhere. Got a coach. Started figuring it out seeing what I'm capable of, learning a lot of things. And then I found another race and it was a Greenhorn Ranch um, 25K up in Quincy, California, which they call the Lost Sierras. It's in the Northern Sierras and Lewis Escobar's the race director. So I came there that time and threw down like 20 miles and he saw me and he was like, whoa, you've definitely improved since the last time I've seen you. I've never seen someone do what you've done on trail. I want you on my podcast. So about a year ago, Lewis and I were on his podcast and I was telling him all my dreams and my ambitions and I want to get more adaptive athletes out there. So Lewis started opening up all these doors for me. He's like this like angel in trail running for me and in life. He has access to these doors and he opened them for me and I walked through them. And one of those was 
Born to Run too. He got me connected with you know Christopher McDougall and Eric Gordon, and we hit it off. They're great guys. Mm. They get it, you know, and um, they're my friends. And I got to, I I get to be in their book. Super cool. <laughs> Look, I mean, I I, I think it's a. Uh... <sighs> And, you know, we had him on a couple of weeks ago and it's, it's the sense of, um, I, I remember a, I sort of, and the, the experience was kind of heightened by the fact that I was day two of COVID. So I had this raging temperature and was, and I was like, there's no way I'm not going to, you know, there's no way I'd have to be on my deathbed to not, to miss this. You know, I've, 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 I, I drank the Kool-Aid, you know, with, with born to run, I, it changed my life, you know, as, as many, as, as, you know, many people, it changed many people's lives. Um, and it's that sense, isn't it? Like in terms of, if you'd have said to me 10 years ago, Hey, one day you're going to be sitting down at your kitchen table, uh, talking to Christopher McDougall at like seven in the morning. Um, you know, uh, and I, it's the same thing I think about, you know, with Barefoot Ted, same thing, sitting across, you know, I interviewed him when I was an editor of a magazine and then again on the podcast and just sitting there like literally kicking myself going, I can't believe I'm having this experience. It's funny how things kind of cycle around. Hey. Totally. You know, and those those are really cool guys and I consider them like really close friends of mine. Yeah. You know, I text them. They've, they've encouraged me with the uh, born to adapt. You know, they found out about it right after me and Lewis announced it and they were encouraging me the whole time. So it's really cool to have people like that on, you know, having your back and um, yeah, it is cool. So on the born to adapt, will you, is the goal to, uh, that? that's a race, right? It's, it's more an, like a, a blueprint. Sorry. It's more like a blueprint right. where I can fine tune it enough to where, um, other people can do it, you know, and maybe I make my rounds around the world and help people get that together. But the idea is to have it to where I don't have to be there to have it happen. You know, like maybe I'm the front man for it for a while, but we can pass it along and get other people to do born to adapt, you know, like places like New Zealand, you know, um, I just want to give people the access to these things, right. uh, to get more people out there. And, and the blueprint is the, it's a it's a time period rather than a distance, and it's for people who are have um, I, I, so uh, adaptive athletes. So there's a there's an element of disability there. Yeah, we're figuring it out. You know, I think next year we're going to do it a little different. We're going to have that same race that you saw in the movie, but I'm also there's already a 10 mile, a 30 mile, a 60 mile, and a hundred mile in a four day. I also want to allow adaptive athletes in those races. And maybe even have prize purses and maybe have like a hundred mile world championship or something, basically create a division that these people have podium opportunities. They get the same resources and just basically do it at a place like that. I think there could be a lot of cool stuff happening from it. Mm. So I'm learning, you know, like after that event, me and Lewis sat down and talked about what could we do different? What could we do better? What should we not do again? You know, so we're kind of fine tuning it and we're just going to keep on doing that until we have this like beautiful thing. Man, it sounds like it's already a beautiful thing. It's just gonna keep, you know, keep growing and growing and growing. And and after you, I mean, you're gonna be down in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, what? Yeah, I'm spending the whole month of February. Our plan is to come there in February, do the race, but also, you know, connect with the community and 
you know, see what New Zealand's like. Cause I'm, I'm serious. I really want to, it's on our, it's on our, our, my vision board is right over here Yeah, and it says get to New Zealand and live there. <laughs> well, look, I mean, as I said, we, we'd love to have you and there's plenty of mountains, there's plenty of beaches, there's plenty of, you know, you can see, uh, beaches from mountains and mountains from beaches, which is pretty cool. You guys like hippies? Oh yeah, guys like, like guys f- with- f- fully. Like we're 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 hippie positive. Uh, and there's there's uh, certain areas of uh, Aotearoa where there's more concentric, uh, not concentric, more sort of you know conglomerations of people who have uh, self-identify, I guess, as hippies or or whatever you want to say. But we're pretty. Well, me and my wife would love to go visit that. Yeah, place, uh, let us know where it is. I'll let you be our tour guide of where to go. <laughs> I I would not have the um I would not have the I I would say right now uh and this is just for lack of experience I don't sort of I I'm not uh familiar but I could I could point to them on a map and say go there and that'll 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 sort you out so I love when that stuff that sounds magical go here yeah absolutely point to the map absolutely I'll, and I'll go and so in terms of people's I just want to sort of focus and it's this sense of, I mean, you said in the, you said in the, in the YouTube video, you know, like people aren't, people who look like me aren't used to seeing people like me at these events. And if we yeah. see people like us, you know, it's easy for me as a, like a heteronormative 45 year old white dude to look at another, <laughs> chuck a stone backwards at an ultramarathon and hit another 45 year old white dude. Right. Um, Totally, but like you said, like people such as yourself uh, with adaption, um, it's a it's a challenge for people who also have adaption. But do you are people do you, are people challenged by the fact that you're there? Like some able bodied runners, do they? It must be you must get a lot of positive comments. I'm not suggesting you get negative comments, but people honestly, I, I think your question is, do I get any pushback? Yeah. You know, I don't, if I do, I don't notice it. Right. You know, um, it's kind of like my wife tells me a lot when I go places, obviously I wear shorts pretty much everywhere. And especially when we leave Mendocino, cause everybody knows me here, but when we go to the city like San Francisco and we go to a public place, a lot of people stare at me. I literally never notice. Right. And my wife, my wife will be like, there's just 50 people staring at you. And I'm like, really? I had no idea. So the same thing could happen to me at a race. If somebody were to be, you know, not want me there, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. They never suge- came to my face and said, like, "Hey, what are you doing in our race?" <laughs> well, I, well, isn't that the way with most things? If someone's going to have a have a negative attitude or say something snarky or snide or uh, unpleasant, it's always it's it's ninety nine point nine times never going to be to the person's face, right? It's always, totally. It's always going to be sort of. Behind. I'm sure there's something, but I've just never noticed. There's a lot of positive in the trail running community. There's a lot of positives in the trail running community. Look, uh, Zach, you've been so generous with your time. I, I'm aware that you want to get out for a run. Um, I'm stoked. I'm so stoked to have had this conversation with you. And I'm going to ask you uh, the question that we ask everyone who comes on Dirt Church Radio. And that's, Zach, what's been your greatest run ever? Probably the one I had last night. All right. But it's always. That last run, you know, I, I don't know. Last night was pretty spectacular because I hadn't been home in a while and I live next to the ocean. There's this 
trail called Big River. It's my favorite trail. Got thousands of miles back there. It's an estuary. You got seals, you got wildlife, not a lot of people. And I got to run pretty hard last night and it just felt great. It was perfect weather. And after the run, I, I always feel like, man, I love this. You know, like I feel it like pumping through my veins of just like, this is awesome. I get to do this. So that's a great answer, man. The, the greatest run ever was the, was the last run you had. Just one more question. I mean, you travel a lot. What does that, are you at public speaking or engaging with different organizations? I mean, what's the, when we, we discussed this, you know, you're talking, you're in a different time zone a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my schedule, I just basically, I do a lot of speaking. Um, I do a lot of running, you know, like last weekend we were at the GoPro games. Um, I'm just kind of out there being visible as much as I can. Um, many different ways. There's one trip I'm doing in October where I'm climbing Cotopaxi in Ecuador with a group of amputees from an organization called Romp. Um, it's basically a fundraiser. Uh, it's, it's my job as an athlete that goes to do that. I get to fundraise for them. Um, and their organization basically provides prosthetics to people in Ecuador that are under resourced. So I just find these opportunities. I get out there, you know, especially now that I'm going to be running all these UTMB events, travel is going to be a big part of my life. Um, and I'm cool to that. I get to go explore the world running. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's pretty cool. Rough man. life, huh? No, it's a, it, well, <laughs> it's not without its challenges, man. And it's, you've certainly risen to the occasion. Look, where can people find uh, more about Mendocino movement and born to adapt and, and, and yourself? I think right now for me, Instagram is like, the best way to connect with me. Um, the videos on my bio, um, I respond to messages. Um, and that's at Zachary Z A C H A R Y underscore movement. M O V E M E N T. Fantastic. Look, bro. I'm stoked to have had this conversation with you. Thank you for what you do. And I can't wait to meet you in person when you come down to our little corner of the world. Yeah. So, What's your what's your affiliation with the race I'm doing? So the your... affiliation with the race that we're doing is that basically <laughs> Aotearoa is a pretty much a village. You know, uh, everyone knows each other and uh, we will, so last year we were teed up to be on, so we were the commentary team, part of the commentary team the year before. Um, both Eugene and I have done various events there um, and then we're going to, We'll be involved in some major. We'll be involved in some way in terms of sort of a either a presentation or making content. So we'll we'll be there. So you're going to comment on the race I'm running. You're going to maybe be like, maybe. oh, I know that guy. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's our friend Zach. Sick. Here we go. It'll be sweet. Super sweet. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, coming there and meeting everybody. Yeah, no, it'd be great, man. Super great. So thank you very much. Thank you. Could have, not to be sensationalist, I could have talked to him about working in Humboldt County for about four hours because I have lots of questions. Um, well, you're going to get the chance yeah. in February. That's going to be so cool to see him down here. <laughs> it's going to be so cool to see him down here. I can't wait to meet him in person. Um, I, 
he, he gets off the plane and there's a there's Matt waiting with a sign going, I want to talk to you about Humboldt County. <laughs> I don't know how that would go at the airport. <laughs> I guess he would have made it through customs by that point and I'm like, I want to talk to you about the yes. Emerald Triangle. But true, true. what an incredible yep. guy, what an incredible journey, you know, uh, just so many things um, stacked against him um, and also a real amazing um, recognition of, of him being in a place of relative privilege, just fantastic. I, I can't wait to see what he does and, you know, heading off to UTMB as well. Uh, just incredible. So, so excited for him. So, mm. yeah, thanks, Zach. That was, and I can't wait to read it. Uh, you know, I can't wait to read your section on Born to Run 2 either. Thank you very much for tuning in. We are on social media at Dirt Church Radio. You can email us dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms, like and subscribe if you fancy and you can download direct from the website dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to write in with your greatest run ever. We'd love to hear from you, and you can read them on the website too. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, and CLE. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things and SOS Hydration and Currens NZ. Thank you to our editor, Kieran. Stay tuned next week. We've got another great show lined up. Hey, cool now. Thanks, Rippy.